my name is Mark Roth. Um, I am the third son of Alan and Carolyn Roth, who I know have been a blessing to this community as they have been to me. Uh, we are delighted as well to have Dad's brother Richard and his lovely wife Donna. It is a privilege to be here with y'all today. And uh, I'm glad to, to be here at Concord again. It's a church I grew up in. I come to you by way of Brown Springs Baptist Church in Mossheim. Uh, Brother Pastor Richard Long extends his greetings uh, to all of you and his love uh, from up that way. I uh, just wanted to extend that to you. And, and, and finally, uh, Debbie, I'd like to thank you for your kind words about gray-headed folks. I really appreciate that and uh, wanted that to be known. If y'all would turn to your Bibles uh, to Acts, the seventh chapter, seventh chapter of the book of Acts. We'll take a look today uh, beginning in verse 30. Acts, the seventh chapter, beginning in verse 30. Leading up to this, Stephen, one of the council of the seven, chosen to help the emerging early church, is about to die. What we will look at today is the the latter portion of his last words to us on this earth. And what did he say and why? These are Stephen's last words. Now, if we back up a little bit, Luke writes his entire gospel about Jesus Christ and all the things that Jesus said, all the things that Jesus did leading up to his death, his burial, his resurrection. Luke writes the book of Acts as the second volume to that, teaching us and telling us about the resurrection of Christ, him coming uh, to be with the, the disciples for a short period of time, going back to God, uh, the Father in heaven, uh, and basically leaving charge for the disciples, the eleven, what they were to do. So in chapter 1, the first thing they did is had a business meeting. They got the twelfth disciple position filled, and they went on about beginning the early church. So by the second chapter in the book of Acts, we see God at work, God's mighty power at work. What would happen is that uh, all these people in, in, in the early church were promised the Holy Spirit of God. And in chapter 2, God delivers. The miracle was that all these things that, that Luke and the other writers had written about Jesus Christ was now being proclaimed by the 120 people that started, or that were at that time, that comprised the early church. And they start talking in all kind of languages about Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of people, Jew and otherwise, that lived around the Mediterranean Sea. They all had their own heart languages where they grew up. And they all understood in their own language concerning Jesus Christ and, and, and him being raised from the dead. Now you can imagine the high priest in the temple there in Jerusalem they weren't crazy about this Jesus. They had him put to death. So now this Jesus has followers that won't shut up about this Jesus. Well, they didn't like them either. And so here's the pattern that develops in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 in the book of Acts. The disciples 
proclaim, the followers of Jesus proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And the high priests, who are supposed to represent God, confront them about it. Then the high priests will threaten them, they will punish them, they'll have them beaten, they'll have them thrown in jail. Now eventually, they they wanted to kill them, but they wouldn't. The reason the high priest didn't kill these early churchgoers is they didn't want Rome, the Roman governors, to come in and take over everything. This is the early Roman Empire. They ruled by fear and by might. And the high priests were smart enough to know that we don't want Rome coming in and taking over everything. Above all, the high priests were in charge. They had the money. They had the power. And they wanted to keep things exactly like that. So that's the dynamic that's going on in the entire book of Acts. And so what that, that just kind of keeps happening. But through all, throughout all of that, God is still at work. That's why this book is about the mighty acts of God. Because facing all of this injustice that the early church had to face, God is at work in signs and miracles, healings. All kinds of wondrous things. The enemies of God will resist that, though. And so that's exactly what's going on leading up to this. By chapter 5, we see the early church really developing. Now thousands of people. The reputation of the early church. We take care of people. Not everybody did. Ananias and Sapphira, they were kind of frauds. But but basically, we see the early church in its infancy going through those baby steps. It's not all pretty. Just like in our church today, it's not all pretty. Sometimes we get things wrong. It was that way in the early church. But God sets the captives free. In that same chapter, we find all the apostles thrown in jail. And God sets them free. And God says, I want you to go back to the temple and proclaim again the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell the whole world, the whole world, the whole words of God. And the early church continues to grow. By chapter 6, the church has grown so much that the 12 apostles can't get it all done. Some people are being neglected. And so they choose the council of the seven. This is the foundation of what we know as the deacon ministry today. One of the seven was named Stephen. Stephen is described in the scriptures as being full of faith and the Holy Spirit of God. Stephen was a good guy. But Stephen being a Grecian Jew, he wasn't liked by all the Grecian Jews. Some of them were native to Israel. Some were dispersed around the region. Stephen was one of those. Anyway, some of those people just like him conspired against him and said, well, he's talking all kinds of stuff against Moses. He's talking all kinds of stuff against the temple of God. He won't shut up about this Jesus and they go to the Sanhedrin and they say, we want this Stephen taken care of the same way we, we, we got Jesus taken care of. We want to kill him. And they would. All of this is happening to Stephen in an unjust manner. There's none of this This is right. But this is what power does. Power doesn't always care if it's right or wrong. Power just does what it does, especially when it is corrupt power. And that's what's going on with the high priests in the temple in Jerusalem at this time. 
And so that's what we've kind of got by the time we start chapter 7 is Stephen is on trial in front of the entire council of the high priests in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, the top 70, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, all of them are now gathered to have a trial for Stephen. And Stephen doesn't even begin to defend himself. He knows they're going to kill him. And so Stephen takes chapter 7 in the book of Acts, and what he does is lay out a defense of the entire faith that is proclaimed in the name of Jesus Christ. And to do this, he's speaking to an audience predominantly Jews. This, 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 this priesthood is, is, is all Jewish. And so he did as any Jew would do. He starts with Abraham. He goes all the way back to Abraham, and he tells the story of his people and how each generation had to make a choice to do the right thing or not and how time, time, time again, God's people, some of them, had rejected the deliverance that God offers. And so he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob Sometimes the oppression would come from within. Sometimes the disobedience would come from within. Sometimes it would come from without. The Philistines, the Assyrians, other people fighting against the Jews. Sometimes it was within the camp of the Jews themselves. But Abraham was told, you're going to have all these descendants. You're going to have all these children. But they're going to be enslaved. It was wrong. They were held captive unjustly in Egypt. It, it came, one of Jacob's kids, Joseph, his own brother, sell him into slavery. It was wrong how Joseph was treated. God used it for good, but it was still wrong. And he is telling all of this. 400 years in Egypt, God's people were kept down because the Egyptians liked it that way. Slavery is good for people at the top. Everybody else, not so much. But the Egyptians were wrong. Pharaoh was wrong in the treatment of his people. And so Moses comes on the scene. Moses escapes death by the king at an early age. And the scriptures are leading up all of this to the time of Moses where Moses, at 40 years old, finally can see. Moses had education. He had wealth. He had everything the Egyptian life had to offer but he realized at 40 years old my people the hebrews are being treated unfairly he kills an egyptian and he goes away for 40 years that's what all of that leads us up to what we will read today but what is happening in all of this is stephen is giving a defense of the faith and he is comparing these high priests who should know better to all the generations that came before them and the oppression that came to all the fathers of Israel would you read along with me Acts chapter 7 verse 30 after 40 years had passed an angel appeared to him in the wilderness that is Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush when Moses saw it he marveled at the sight. And as he approached to look more closely, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans. And I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer. With the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like him from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led them out of the land of Egypt, we do do not know what happened to him. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. And it is written in the book of the prophets, prophets it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness was it O house of israel you also took along the tabernacle of moloch and the star of the god ramphi the images which you made to worship i will also remove you beyond babylon our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight. And asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. May we pray. God, our Father in heaven, may it never be said of us 
that we received your law as ordained by the angels and did not keep it. May we be a people defined by Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus Christ and him resurrected. May we not be found turning to ourselves as these high high priests did. May we be found instead turning to you, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a lot. I know that. There would be a year's worth of sermons about all the history of, of, of the people of Israel and all that took place in going from Abraham all the way to David and Solomon and the like. But what Stephen is trying to accomplish here is say that, you know, this is not a new idea for you priests. This corruption that you have is not new. It is found in every generation where some people will decide to turn their focus inward instead of their focus outward to their neighbors. This is a pattern that starts in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. And at this point, the first few verses today, 30, uh, going on to 34, eight, Moses is 80 years old. And he goes and he sees this burning bush, which I had to imagine was weird. Right? But Moses is finding his purpose in God. Moses is called to right a great wrong. Pharaoh was wrong to do this to the Egyptians. That's the point of all this. The point of all this is that God, in each one of these generations, is sending a deliverer. But not all wanted the deliverance that God would provide, they rejected it. People were unjust toward Moses. They made fun of him. You're not going to kill us the way you killed that Egyptian, are you, Moses? Who made you a judge? Who made you a ruler? Stephen says, God made Moses a judge and a ruler. God had a plan for Moses' life. And the people of Israel said, we'd rather have a cow statue. Wanted a statue of a cow. To worship that because their hearts weren't right. The people had turned by verse 42, verse 43, the people had turned to anything but the Lord. Stephen here has been accused of speaking against Moses, speaking against the temple. But it was the previous generations that he explained has already destroyed this temple. Well, how can that be? This temple stands. Well, he'll get into that. It was the Sanhedrin, the high priests, that were acting just like the generations before. Stephen speaks of Joshua and David and Solomon. Their part in making God's tabernacle, the tabernacle of God, and providing it a house, this holy relic of God. They wanted to build a temple to properly house it. But Stephen explains, and this is his conclusion. House isn't made with hands. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. This is his conclusion. God is 
God isn't in our temple. He's in our hearts. Whether this building stands or whether it falls today, God's not in this building. He's in our hearts. And the hearts of the chief priests were found wanting. Their hearts weren't right. And Stephen is going to call them out on it. He says, you accuse me of acting against God. You accuse me of acting against his temple. You know nothing about his temple. The presence of God, the testimony of God. You're just like the generations before that would focus uh, on anything else but the things of God. You are evil just like them. You care nothing for the things of God. Only yourselves. And your unending pursuit of your own gain. This was his charge against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the chief priests. He says all the injustice that has faced our people from Abraham until now. Just like you are unfairly accusing me, Stephen. It's been like that all the way since with Abraham. All that oppression of God's people come from people just like you, the chief priests. Just like you. Hard-hearted. Selfish, arrogant, violent, murderous. None of these things are to be found in the life of a believer. None of these things are to be found in the life of a high priest. Stephen goes on, he says, even the murder of God's Messiah, that's on you. Verse 52, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed the one who previously announced the coming of the righteous one. That is Jesus Christ. You are the same lot that plotted against even the Messiah of God. We had all these prophets tell you Messiah was coming. Some of them were put to death. Jesus himself comes. You put him to death. You high priests are guilty. You are wrong. And now you want to accuse me? He says, you who should know better. You high priests. You're supposed to represent God. Folks, this is as relevant as there is anything in the church in 2023 today. Because we must find ourselves as the church in 2023 not like the chief priests. You, the chief priests, were supposed to know better. You had received the law as ordained by angels, but chose not to keep it. You should have been reflecting the love of God, but you only had love for yourselves. You whom God blessed with power and resources, but you wanted to keep it all for yourselves. You high priest, you were blessed with the knowledge of the law, but you chose not to keep it. You think you are the righteous ones, but you are not. May that not ever be said of the church of Jesus Christ in 2023. Sadly, there are those among every congregation for which this is true. It must not be found of us. Stephen is saying, don't check your buildings. Don't check your dress code. Don't check your bank account. 
Don't check the temple or the church or what it looks like. The house is not made with hands. Stephen is saying, check your hearts. And you, the chief priests, your hearts are wrong. You chose yourselves. You are violent hypocrites. You should repent, but you won't. That same choice is before us today. Each believer in Jesus Christ and each church in our nation and all around the world must decide, as Stephen did, what are we going to be like? Are we going to be like this Jesus that the disciples and the apostles and the, the Stephen and the other followers wouldn't shut up about? Jesus was bringing life, life abundant. The fruit of his spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self-control. Against those things, there's no limit, there's no law. We can be on that side. Or we can be on the side of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the chief priests and the Sanhedrin whose hearts were corrupt because they turned inward and only cared about themselves. And they would go to violent means to keep things exactly the way they wanted. We have that same choice today. We know which side Jesus was on. We need to be on Jesus' side. And may I say to you today, this Jesus came, he taught, he ruffled some feathers with the priests. He fought with the priests every time. Read through the book of John. It's a lot about, read through the Gospels. Jesus fought a lot with these priests and the ones that came after them because his central charge was the same as Peter's, the same as John's, the same as Jesus's, the same as Stephen. You people, you high priests have got it all wrong. You are corrupt and you need to turn from it. Jesus offered a different path. But it wasn't the path they wanted. They wanted Jesus to come in and slay their enemies. We're like that sometimes. There are people that we don't agree with and we want them defeated. If you watch a football game, we understand this. I see the Alabama Crimson Tide. I want them defeated. The problem is when we do that in our own lives to the point we hurt our neighbors because we want to win. The Pharisees were willing to hurt and kill their neighbor because they wanted to win. That same cannot be said of us. So are we called by the name of Jesus Christ? In him going to the cross and dying willingly, they didn't kill him, he gave himself. He goes to the cross and he dies willingly. And then he got up. I don't know how that works. But it happened. Every person in this room is here because we believe above all else that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. It is what binds us together. So all those other things are all those other things. So I'd ask you today, is this Jesus a part of your life? If he's not, oh, you want to make that right. And if he is, we need to be just like the other followers of Jesus Christ, making that choice. Are we going to be like Jesus or are we going to be like the priests?